Stick those earbuds in your ears and listen up, you heathen cunts. May the Lord bless everyone who beats your children out against the rocks. May the Lord bless everyone who beats your children out against the rocks. May the Lord bless everyone who beats your children out against the rocks. Welcome to Dwight Explains the Bible, where we say no way to Yahweh. So today, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of things. Um, a lot of the stupid stuff that Christians say, and then we're going to get into Elijah just a little bit more and take a look at his story. So this episode is going to be kind of jumping all over the place. Um, so here we go. There is a lady right now in Idaho who is having a miscarriage. She's been having a miscarriage for a few days and it's infecting her body and the doctors won't remove the fetus because of the abortion laws. So this woman is getting sick and may end up dying just like Isabel did back in Poland when they lost their rights to an abortion. So let's start off talking about abortion again. Every time... I have a conversation with another Christian, or I, I'm listening to another conversation with a Christian, and somebody brings up the fact that God is a baby killer. The floods, Sodom and Gomorrah, plagues of Egypt, the uh, Amalekites, the Midianites. God is a baby killer. And as soon as you bring that up, what do the Christians say? Oh, well, let me guess. You're pro-choice? So... Like, what does that even mean? Are, are, are you saying that you, you're pro-life while supporting this baby-killing God? Um, are, are you trying to set a point, it's okay here, but not okay here? Like, I just, I just really don't understand that. So, oh, are you pro-choice? No, I think you should wait until they're born and independent of the mother before you kill them. I'm a Christian. Like, let them take their first breath of life and then kill them. There we go. That's a good Christian, isn't it? So, while they're still inside the womb, the mother is in labor. They're inside the womb. Oh, it must live. It must live. But the very split second that it gets out of the womb... All of a sudden, oh, well, it's okay to kill it. God says so. This is such a dishonest position to take because what choices I take are irrelevant. We're talking about a God, somebody that we're supposed to blindly follow. We're supposed to worship and blindly follow. Now, if, if you decided to worship me, good for you. Thank you, and I accept your, your prayers and your worship. Now, if you were going to tell your friend, hey, you should worship this guy, uh, Dwight, and then they'd say, why should I worship him? See, that guy's smart. That second guy, that's a smart guy. Why should I worship him? Because that's all I'm saying. Somebody tells me that I should worship God. I say the same thing. Why should I worship him? So we need to look at the person we're supposed to be worshiping and decide, should we worship him? So if you told somebody else why they should worship me, you have to make a convincing case. So if somebody wants me to worship a God, they have to make a convincing case. 
So let's look at God and figure out why we would want to worship him. Do you, do you like killing babies? Well, if you do, that'd be a good reason to worship God. God tells his people to kill babies and he kills babies like all the time. So that'd be a really good reason to follow God. Um, like just genocide in general. Do you think that's a good solution to problems? Just kill a whole bunch of people? Well, then you should follow God too. So let's focus on what the, the, the argument is here. God kills babies. Are you okay with that? You want to deflect away from the conversation. You want to turn people's attention away from the fact that God kills babies and you want to look at something else. So the argument literally is, are you okay with killing babies? Literally living human beings that are separate and apart from another human being. They're independent human being. Are you okay with killing them? Personally, I'm pro-life. If you're alive, if you're a life, then I care about you and I think you should be healthy, happy, and have autonomy over your own body. Now, the pro-life movement is talking about the fetus's life while they ignore the mother. So they're not pro-life, they're pro-specific life forms in certain environments, but they're not pro-life. They are forced birth. That's all pro-life is, is someone who thinks the woman's job or the woman's calling in life is to have babies. That's pro-life. Pro-lifers don't understand consent. It's up to the woman what she does with her body. If she wants to remove a tumor on her neck, a tumor on her foot, or a tumor that's growing in her womb. It's her body. She gets to do what she wants with it. And I don't even understand pro-life. So, like, you want another thing to be born in this world that deserves to burn in hell forever. <laughs> like, really? Yay, there's another thing in this world that might do Satan's work and take people away from God. Hooray! <laughs> We want everybody to have a chance at life. Okay, you were born for two seconds, time to kill them. Anyway, let's get back to the Bible. So what does the Bible say about abortion? Numbers chapter 5, if you think your wife is unfaithful, you have her drink the bitter waters. And if she has been unfaithful, then it makes her, there's a lot of different words, but it makes her womb swell up and rot off and whatever else. So literally, her womb rots it dies right so what would happen to anything that's inside the womb it would die right so if there is a child uh numbers chapter 5 verse 13 specifically says if she's with child if she carries the seed of an unfaithful whatever um so if she's with a child that child is in the womb and the womb rots and dies what happens to the child Ask somebody this. They will never answer you. They will never answer this question. I've asked this question to hundreds of people, and I've never gotten a reply. When they say it's not talking about abortion. Numbers 5 isn't talking about abortion. <laughs> so ask them, 
what happens if the woman was unfaithful and she was carrying a child? What happens to that child? Just ask them and they won't answer. They're going to dance around. They, they, they just, they, they don't have the words. They will not admit it. There's a cognitive dissonance from that answer. That verse, that chapter in context is literally the kryptonite for Christianity. It's literally one of the few verses or one of the few stories that Christians will avoid at any cost. This is literally God giving his people a recipe for abortion. This is God saying, if you think your wife is unfaithful, and she has been, she's going to have an abortion. We're going to force her to have a miscarriage. A forced miscarriage is basically abortion, right? So God is okay with killing babies once they're born. And guess what? He's also okay with abortion. So if you're pro-life because of your religious beliefs, what you're saying is I'm too stupid to read the Bible. I'm just too stupid to read the Bible and I'm going to make up my own story about what it says, which is the most ridiculous thing. I have a Bible. You all have access to a Bible. You can look at the Bible online. You can download a Bible app. Everybody has access to a Bible. So how incredibly stupid do you have to be to tell somebody, oh, it doesn't say that, when everybody can clearly just go and look and see that it does say that? You're literally lying to my face, you big, dumb idiot. So what if that child was going to be the Antichrist? What if that child was going to be like the next Jeffrey Dahmer, the next Hitler, right? So what if God sent an angel to the mother and told the mother, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe you should have an abortion. That child is this spawn of Satan. So literally, Christians are fighting against God. God tells somebody to go do something, and then he has other Christians who have the Holy Spirit telling them what to do, fighting against God. It's just, it's ridiculous. So the question to ask a Christian is what happens to the baby if the woman is pregnant and she does the bitter water test? That's it. Okay, so moving on to the next topic. Um, whenever somebody starts speaking against the Bible, at like, talking as if God is some sort of genocidal, narcissistic monster. The the thing Christians always say is, who hurt you, right? Now, first off, that's really insulting. That's like horribly insulting that, that if I read that book and don't think that this genocidal monster is a good guy, that somebody had to have hurt me. But that's not the bad part. Here is the horrible, disgusting, bad part. What they're saying, who hurt you? They're assuming maybe a pastor did something inappropriate with you, right? Who hurt you? So what they're saying is 
that our dangerous organization has so many dangerous people in it that one of those dangerous people in my dangerous organization must have done something to you. We know that there's a lot of dangerous people in our organization, and we know there's a lot of people who turn away from the church after the dangerous people in our dangerous organization do something. So we have so many of these horrible people that one of those horrible people must have done something to you who hurt you oh you're asking me like which one of your horrible people has done something to me I guess my question is who hurt you why do you think you deserve to burn in hell forever why do you think you deserve to be tortured that sounds like the problem to me that sounds like somebody who needs help somebody should speak to a therapist if you think you deserve to be tortured if you think you deserve all these horrible things you should you know i don't know talk to a therapist but don't try to flip the script on me and say which one of the pedophiles in your pedophile religion has hurt me? Your God who commands pedophilia, who tells his people to save the virgin daughters for themselves, that followers of that God who also carry on exactly what God says to do has hurt me. That is a complete dishonest and disingenuous narrative. Another just random silly thing that Christians say all the time is there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, but, but, but Jesus wasn't his name. Wasn't his name Yeshua? So why would there be power in the name of Jesus if that's not his name? His born name, his birth name is Yeshua. Wouldn't there be power in the name of Yeshua? Or do demons fear any translation? If I decided to translate Yeshua into Steve, does that mean there's power in the name of Steve? There's power in the name of Jesus. Oh, shut up. And let's just talk for a minute about how ridiculous it is when somebody says Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So, like, is this grade school? Are you passing me a note that says, hey, Sarah likes you. Do you like her back? Circle yes or no. Right? This isn't grade school. If Jesus likes me, if Jesus loves me, he can tell me himself. I don't need you to pass me a note. I don't need you to tell me for him. He can tell me himself. I'm pretty sure he's an adult. I'm an adult. You can just come tell me yourself. You don't need to use a middleman. Jesus died for your sins, right? Jesus was sacrificed for your sins. But how do sacrifices work? In the Old Testament, when people would sin, they would sacrifice an animal, right? A goat or a lamb or doves or whatever. They would sacrifice an animal. And they would say, this animal is the sacrifice. They would take it to the temple. They would bring it up onto the altar. And then they would sacrifice it. Did any of that happen with Jesus? Did humanity or a single human say, I'm going to sacrifice this for my sins? 
first off, the Old Testament says you cannot take the sins of somebody else on yourself. If I mess up, I pay the price. Like my dad, my brother, whatever, couldn't step in and say, hey, I'll take his punishment. They can't do that. Your iniquities are upon you. Your sins are on you. So again, this is Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament, right? But he goes against everything, right? So Jesus... What was not a proper sacrifice according to the Old Testament. He it wasn't done in the right manner. It wasn't done in the right place. It wasn't you can't do a human sacrifice. Jesus, when he was, according to the story, crucified on the cross, was being punished as a criminal. That's not sacrificing somebody for sins. That's being punished as a criminal. A sacrifice for sins is you take something innocent to the altar and you sacrifice it. The cross is not an altar. It's not inside a temple. So if Jesus was a sacrifice for my sins, everything about it was wrong. It wasn't according to the Old Testament. Therefore, Jesus could not have been fulfilling the Old Testament. He's making up a whole new set of rules. He's making it up on the spot. Okay, I know we've done this for 5,000 years, but now I'm going to change everything. Huh? Why don't you believe me? Why don't you think I'm the Messiah? I'm changing all the rules just for me. Like, literally, the New Testament is basically its own book. It has nothing to do with the Old Testament except for the fact that it uses names from the Old Testament. It quotes the Old Testament, but the message, the practices, the God, the teaching of the New Testament is nothing like the Old Testament. So how exactly is Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament? And again, they'll say, well, we have a new covenant. Well, great. Well, there's seven covenants in the Old Testament. One covenant doesn't negate or replace another the, the the covenant with Abraham was an everlasting covenant. It's everlasting. Did God say LOL, JK? I mean, a New Testament doesn't make the Old Testament null and void. They have to run continuously together. Just because the New Testament says it answers the Old Testament, that only works if you haven't read the Old Testament. So for Jesus to fulfill the Old Testament, he has to follow the rules and the laws. No human sacrifice. Sacrifices must be done um, in the temple on the altar. It must be for your own sins. Telling me that somebody died for me, that puts a lot of pressure on me. Like, I don't want that. No, thank you. I'm okay owning up for my own mistakes. I'm okay with that. Please don't pressure me like that. Please don't put me in the spotlight like that. Jesus Christ, man. Then the next horseshit thing that Christians say is that, well, the Jews got it wrong, right? So what what Christians are saying is that either God is such a horrible messenger that he can't accurately give his message to his people in a way they understand it, or that God is such a horrible designer that his design can't understand him. So if the if the 
Jews, the Old Testament people, got it wrong? Is it because God is God is a bad messenger or God is a bad designer? Which one are you saying exactly? Please clarify. You're all-knowing, all-powerful God. Is he a bad messenger or a bad designer? So they're inevitably going to say, well, man is sinful. Man, They got the message right, but man messed it up. So again... God didn't convey his message adequately. He didn't do a good job of explaining things. And if he did, then he did a bad job of designing. It's basically one or the other. I don't really see a third option. You have a message and you gave it to people and they did it wrong. Did you give them a bad message or was it the bad people? If it's people's fault, that's God's design. So God is a bad designer. So which one is it? If they got it wrong, if they didn't understand it, they said the Messiah would come from the bloodline of David, and the bloodline of David comes through the father's lineage. It's the father's DNA that matters for kings and priests and stuff like that. But the, the, the Christians are like, no, that's not how it works. So God's people are wrong. So when God told his people these things, again, he's either a bad messenger or a bad designer. Which one of these horrible, like these, these incorrect things are you saying about your all-perfect God? Moving on. Okay, so here's a random question. Why are there Christian hospitals? Like there's St. Luke's Hospital or it's whatever. Why are there Christian hospitals? Doesn't prayer work? And if you pray and it doesn't happen, isn't that God's will? So what's the hospital for? I don't understand. If you have a heart attack, isn't that God calling you home? Isn't that God saying, now it's time for you to go to heaven? You made it. Congratulations. You get to go to heaven and be eternally happy forever. So when a Christian has a heart attack, why do they go to the hospital? The Bible says love of this world means you hate the father. That's what the Bible says. So why are you trying to stay in this world so much longer if the next life is the best life? I mean, do you actually believe that? Do you believe the next life is eternal happiness? It's bliss. It's great. It's amazing. Do you actually believe that? Then why are you going to the hospital? Why are you trying to hold on to this life so bad? So somebody with high blood pressure takes blood pressure medicine, right? Why? If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be taking medicine for two reasons. One, God gave you high blood pressure for a reason. Stop trying to fight against God's will. Jesus tells you how to pray. Let your will be done. Talking to God. Let your will be done. If God wills you to have high blood pressure, that's how you're supposed to live live your life. Don't worry about things of this world. I thought you believed in heaven, right? So why are you taking medicine that goes against God's will and God's design? Second reason it's bad is because all medicine... All medicine everywhere, all medical treatments come from witchcraft, right? So witchcraft is like uh, you have these different herbs and leaves and, you know, whatever, whatever concoction to create a certain effect. 
And any sort of medicine comes from nature, comes from plants and, and leaves and just whatever else. And we've harnessed the different chemicals and we make stuff, uh, stuff from the earth to produce a desired outcome. That's witchcraft. And the Bible is against witchcraft. So not only are you actively fighting against God's will and design, you're also committing a sin because you're practicing in witchcraft. Modern medicine is a product of witchcraft. Do you see any Christians who have glasses, but didn't God design them to have bad vision? Isn't it God's will that they live their life with bad vision? Why do these people basically walk up to God and spit in his face and then say they worship him? I don't understand that. If you trust God, if you trust in God's plan, God's will, and then you spend your life actively fighting against it. Just make up your mind. Do you believe in heaven or not? Do you believe heaven is from the Bible? Do you believe the Bible is God's word? If you believe all these things, why are you fighting against God if you're trying to get to heaven? Like, so somebody has like, two or three heart attacks, they've had a stroke, they've had a triple bypass, they're on like handfuls of medicine, and then they go to heaven, and God's just standing there like tapping his watch. Like how many, like, I, I just don't understand that. These people, they're hypocrites, they don't practice what they preach, and they preach from, like, they say it's from the Bible, when we all know it's horseshit. Jesus says to care not for matters of this world. If you love this world, you hate the Father. And Christians go so far in hating the Father that not only do they care for matters of this world, they're most of our politicians, right? Most of the people in Congress and City Hall and just everywhere else, they're all Christians. Jesus says to care not for matters of this world, and these people say, shut up, Jesus, we're going to do it anyway. So we're about to get into Elijah. We're going to talk about Elijah in just a minute, but before we do, um, the Elijah comes from the Bible. So in order to understand the Bible, we need the Holy Spirit, because if you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand it. That's what they say, right? You're too stupid to understand this book. You're stupid and can't understand how to read this book and understand what it means without the Holy Spirit. You can read all these other books and you know exactly what they say. But if you pick up the book called the Holy Bible, now all of a sudden you're too stupid to read the, like read the words and understand what they mean. I'm stupid, you're stupid, your mom's stupid, right? Everybody's stupid and we need the Holy Spirit to help us read the Bible. So let's quickly talk about the Holy Spirit and then we'll move into Elijah. So let's just imagine a scenario. We have John and we have Bob. So John reads the Bible and he's he's thinking, I wonder if the flood story is a real story. The Holy Spirit tells him, yes, it is. The flood story is a real story. 
and then Bob reads a flood story and the 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 Holy Spirit says no it's not real. So then now we have somebody who, two different people who have both heard from the one Holy Spirit saying it's real and it's not real. So either the Holy Spirit is a liar, he's fake or one of these guys is wrong. So let let's assume the Holy Spirit is not a liar. Um, and let's assume he's real. So now we have John and Bob. So they disagree with the Bible. They're, they have discerned the word incorrectly or comparing it to each other. So what we need to do is we need to get two Christians together who disagree and then figure out who actually had the Holy Spirit. So then we need to have like a cage fight. Right, We need to put two Christians in a cage until they figure out who had the Holy Spirit and who didn't. Maybe John will say, well, no, actually, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. And Bob's like, well, I did. So uh, we'll go with my, you know. So <sighs> there's so many different denominations. Like there's 40,000 different denominations. If you go, like you look at Catholic, well, there's Roman Catholic, there's Byzantine Catholic, and then there's all these like just branches underneath them. They're, every denomination believes a little bit differently. Well, why don't they all just get together and then somebody stand in the front and say, okay, who had the Holy Spirit when they read the Bible? And then whoever raises their hand, that's the guy. That's how we know who's right, isn't it? Isn't that how we figure out whose interpretation is correct? If the Holy Spirit helps discern the word, then get a bunch of Christians together and have somebody raise their hand if the Holy Spirit told them what the Bible says. That's how we that's how we can figure this whole thing out. We don't need any denominations. We just need all the Christians to come together. Raise your hand if if the Holy Spirit told you the answer. I guess that's kind of a way you can kind of start messing with Christians a little bit is every time they say something, you just you look at them and you kind of mock them. Did the Holy Spirit tell you that? Are you sure about that? Did the Holy Spirit tell you that? Are you sure? There, There is a doctrine in some denominations, once saved, always saved. So they'd say, if you've ever been saved in your life, like me growing up in a church, technically I was saved, right? So even though I am drastically on the opposite side of the game now, I was once saved, therefore always saved. So when somebody says that, you just say, okay, great. Did the Holy Spirit tell you that's true? <gasps> Did the Holy Spirit tell you that? Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so we know in the beginning of Mark, it starts off by quoting Malachi uh, there's a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare a way for the Lord. This is from Malachi talking about Elijah. So just real quick, who is Elijah? And this will be really quick. But um, so Elijah was in the Old Testament. He was a prophet who had all these superpowers. Um, he would get into fights with all these people. And then when he was in trouble, it would just like rain hellfire from the skies. Like all these comets and stuff would come down and just destroy his enemies. It happened twice, two different battles that he had all these amazing powers. So that's Elijah. He was a victorious prophet who would go into battle. He would be, you know, he had all these accomplishments, this amazing uh, people fighting wizard guy. 
And he also, there was a story where he raised the dead. There was a dead person. He went over, he raised the dead. He also, he parted waters, just like Moses, right? He he parted the waters. And then him and his, I don't know, assistant or something, uh, uh, Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah. So it's Elijah and Elijah. Um, so when Elijah went up to heaven on the chariots that came and picked him up, Elijah threw off his cloak and Elijah got the cloak and then got all the powers of Elijah and, and Elijah went off and he started like healing the sick and, you know, there'd be dirty water and he would just touch it and it would turn clean. So anyway, so they're, they're, they're like, I guess Elijah's robe was like this super powerful thing or something. So Mark starts off by quoting a passage talking about Elijah. He says, a voice in the distance says, prepare a way for God, right? Something like that. So people are trying to say that Elijah or that passage is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Elijah preparing the way for the Lord or Jesus. So in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about this spirit and power of Elijah coming back, right? And then it says somewhere else that the spirit of Elijah was put into John the Baptist. So his spirit was put into John. Elijah didn't come back, but his spirit did, and it went into John. So what did John do? He baptized people, and then he got in trouble and got executed. His, literally, his head was served up on a platter. That is literally the story in the Bible. His head, he was decapitated and his head was brought to the king. So, so where in the story of John is this magic ninja wizard? Where is this like crime fighting magic man that did all these amazing things? John did nothing. So the spirit of Elijah was in him and he did absolutely nothing. There is nothing remarkable about the story of John the Baptist. So Elijah came back and he basically, he was just sitting in the background, not really doing anything, right? So when you compare the stories of Elijah, this magic ninja and John the Baptist, this ordinary guy, how do those, those stories line up? There's always similarities between the Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament copies the Old Testament. Um, Moses parted the seas, right? So he had a water miracle. Jesus calmed the storms. He walked on waters. He had a water miracle. It echoes. Moses made manna rain from the sky when the Jews were lost in the desert. Jesus fed many people with fishes and loaves and stuff. So he had, they both had food miracles. Moses went on the, uh, up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Jesus was on the mount and, and gave the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So they both had a uh, an interesting or remarkable thing happen on a mountain. So they're basically copying Old Testament to New Testament. But with Elijah, all of a sudden, they're not. It's just completely different. Oh, we put this spirit of Elijah in him. Great. Well, that, that just doesn't even make sense. And then there was when, when Elijah raised the kid from the dead, 
John didn't do that, but Jesus did, right? He healed the Samaritan woman's kid. So Jesus acted more like Elijah. So the power of Elijah seems to show up in Jesus, not John. But the Bible clearly says the spirit of Elijah was put in John. People say the Gospel of Mark, when it quotes the bit about Elijah from uh, Malachi, that it's talking about John. That's what they say. But I wonder, have they read the Bible? Because the Gospel of John, which is a different John than John the Baptist, we don't know who wrote the Gospels, they're anonymous writers, blah, blah, blah. But the story goes. So the Pharisees asked John, after they saw him baptizing people, um, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I am not Elijah, but I am the one calling from the wilderness to prepare a way for the Lord. But the one preparing a way for the Lord would be Elijah, but he just said he's not Elijah, but I am Elijah because that's what the verse set says. Uh, a voice calls out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. John says that's him. But that is talking about Elijah, but that's not, John says he's not Elijah. Anyway, so I, this is where the Holy Spirit would, would step in and let me know. Was John a liar? Or which part did John lie about? Did John lie about not being Elijah? Or did John lie about being the voice calling in the wilderness? Okay, so the Holy Spirit needs to tell me. Um, actually, if any of you have the Holy Spirit, please let me know. You can go on my website. You can contact me there um, on godisababykiller.com. Send me a message. Hey, the Holy Spirit just told me the answer. John lied about the first part. Or John lied about the second part. John lied when he said he wasn't Elijah. And and this is all in the same like the same verse, too. It's not like these are different parts of the Bible. This is back-to-back. -back. I am not Elijah, but I am the voice in the wilderness. These are back-to-back, -back and he lies. The, like, these two things can't go together. Um, but then he goes on. He's, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's like, I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. I'm not Christ, but I am the voice. So it just makes absolutely no sense. So everybody except John says he's Elijah. And John has no freaking idea who he is. He both says he is and then isn't. Or the gospel, uh, the people who wrote the gospel of John had no idea. Um, like they didn't read the next chapter in Malachi. They didn't realize, oh crap, that was actually supposed to be Elijah. I mean, like I, I just, <sighs> please, Holy Spirit, come to me now. So really, the whole Holy Spirit thing, it's basically the Holy Spirit tells you, oh, don't read this part. Don't read that part. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Oh, ignore this. Yeah, okay, it says this, but but just pretend it says something else. Oh, okay, thanks, Holy Spirit. So anyway, that's it for today. Um, when we get back into looking at the Gospel of Mark, uh, there's a really cool surprise. Um, Jesus can read your mind. Wow. Okay. So anyway, see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening, cunts.